Well, as I said, uh, we started talking last Sunday about the, about the, <laughs> I, uh, looks like Jude got a hold of my notebook, <laughs> drew me some cool pictures. <laughs> That's what made me laugh, sorry about that. <clears throat> started talking about the, the, the powerful, uh, beautiful, did you want to see them? I don't know if you can see or not. There you go. <laughs> Talking about the, um, the powerful, life-changing, uh, beautiful, uh, life-changing choice that, that we can all make, the choice to give. You, you know that I you know, love to talk about seven life-changing choices. I reminded us of those uh, last week um, and, and wanted to just focus in uh, for a couple of weeks on the, on the choice of giving, this life-changing choice of giving. And it is a life-changing uh, choice. Uh, it is more powerful than we know, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing that we do and a beautiful gift that the Lord has given to us. Uh, we, we last Sunday started out in Malachi chapter 3. We ended up in Galatians um, chapter 3. And I'd like to do that again this Sunday. I'd like to go back to Malachi chapter 3. I will get to Galatians uh, chapter 3. I have, I am most certain... Uh, bitten off way more than I can chew, um, so I will try to uh, get through it without rushing uh, too much. And um, and when I'm done at 12:30, then we'll just pray. We'll pray and end. Amen. I'm just getting no amens out of you guys this morning. They're like, we are not amen in that. <clears throat> so let's go, uh, Malachi chapter three again. We'll start at verse 10. Again, I apologize for my voice. <clears throat> um, we have last Sunday kind of focused in on, on dealing with the, uh, the curse uh, and the blessing. So we've, we've done that. We're going to um, push a little further uh, in this this Sunday. If, if you didn't hear that or you missed that, you can go and listen, uh, listen to that. Um, but, but really, there's just so uh, much here. Uh, if you remember Scripture, really the way you need to read it, understand it, study it, is, is, is when you're doing it, you need to think more. Uh, because there's more there, if you will, than meets the eye. Uh, there's, there's, even when you begin to see deep and you begin to see more, I'm still certain that even beyond that, there is uh, more. I think, I think Ephesians 3.20 really applies uh, also to, to the word of the Lord. You remember that one where it says that, uh, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above or immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine? I think that's the way that Scripture is. That, that as we look at it and we ask Him and we imagine and we learn and study that there is exceedingly abundantly above what we're seeing. 
that there is immeasurably more, that it's deeper than we know and, and understand. So, so there's, there's a lot here uh, that is going on. And we, we've seen how, how deep and powerful uh, the blessing is and how much God wants to do. And even when it comes to the blessing, uh, it's, it's even the blessing, we're just scratching the surface. It's, it's more, uh, we, we don't even understand it or know it for what it, for what it truly is. But, so, so let's look at this and, and just see a little bit of the more here uh, from this scripture uh, that the Lord is saying to us. Verse 10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, this is the Lord speaking, to, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So uh, here the Lord speaks uh, and, and we see his house uh, mentioned. And, and when he speaks of his house, uh, we see him revealing to us one of the desires for his house. Did you see it? That there might be food in his house. And, and what he has done in order that there might be food in his house is he has included us in being a part of fulfilling that desire for his house that he wants, that it'll be a house where there's provision, that it'll be a house where there is blessing. But he does specifically say food, that there will be a house where there is food. And he says that, he says that one of the ways I want this to be fulfilled is by you bringing the whole tithe and offering uh, the, the verses before speak about the offering, bringing the tithe, uh, the whole tithe, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then he says, uh, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, uh, there will not be room enough to store it so that, you know, so that there will be uh, blessing poured out upon his house. And, uh, and we also know uh, that the Lord is going to care for our house. Especially, we see this, you know, in, in uh, Matthew 6, in the book of Haggai, that, that when we are, are caring for the Lord's house, the Lord cares for our house. When there's, when there's food in His house, He's going to make sure that there's, there's food uh, in our house. So we see food mentioned, we see His house uh, mentioned, uh, we see this uh, overflow uh, of blessing that is mentioned, and then he goes on here in verse verse eleven. He says, "I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe." So <clears throat> now, now the Lord says uh, something else that is powerful, and and I and I love. I really love the, the King James of this, don't you? Uh, where he, where he, says, he says, I will rebuke, I love that word, he will rebuke the devourer and he will not destroy. It's a powerful statement that the Lord says about, about coming and rebuking and rebuking the devourer. And, and when we think about a devourer, who do we think about? And when we think about a destroyer, who do we uh, think about, right? You remember John 10, 10, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, right? He, he is a destroyer. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 
9, the, the uh, enemy, your devil, the devil, uh, your enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is a devourer. And, and God, says, God says, I will rebuke him. I will rebuke the devourer. I will rebuke the destroyer. It's a powerful statement because when the Lord rebukes, whomever he rebukes is rebuked. Right? You remember in, uh, in, uh, in Mark 4 where Jesus is awakened in the boat and stands up and rebukes the wind and the waves? And when the wind and the waves are rebuked, they are rebuked. And they are still and quiet and silent because Jesus has rebuked them. So he says, he says I want there to be food in my house. And he says, I want to open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing. And he says, not only will I do that, but I will stand and rebuke the devourer, the destroyer. And when he is rebuked, he will be rebuked. Now, now when we think about when we think about the house of God, it's, it's more now, right, under the new covenant than some building. It's, it's flesh and blood temples. It's, it's spoken of in the New Testament in the singular and the plural. It's us together as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's us individually as the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the house of God. I am the house of God. You are the house of God. And when we, we think of food and when we see the scriptures mention food, we know that it's more than just food. You remember Matthew chapter 4? When the tempter comes to tempt Jesus, a really big mistake, by the way, and his first temptation to Jesus is because Jesus is hungry after having fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and he says to him, if you are the Son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, you remember it? And he says, he says man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says there's something, there's, there's something uh, more than just food for the flesh. There is something that is more valuable and more important that man also lives on, and that is food for your spirit that is the Word of God. Or, uh, interesting connect, I think, Mark 4. You remember the parable of the sower? Where the the sower goes out and sows seed on the ground, onto the road, on the rocky ground, the thorny ground, and on the good ground. And then the seed on the good ground grows up and produces a harvest. What does Jesus say when he explains it to him? He says that the seed's not seed you're thinking about, right? It's not, it's not corn and, and beans and black-eyed peas. Kind of drifted a little bit on the black-eyed peas one. That's good stuff, isn't it? Or, or purple holes. Man. Like put them over some rice and some hot sauce. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. What was I talking about? Seed. We should drift a little bit like that when we think about the seed of the word of the Lord. Right? As Sunday starts drawing near. We know that we're going to gather together with the people of God and the Lord's going to speak from His Word. We, we start to hunger and drift a little bit. And I'm not saying you should just eat on Sunday. I don't. I eat three, four, five times a week. 
I'm like one of those little hobbits from the Lord of the Rings, right? Where's, where's, where's breakfast and second breakfast and, a, and elevensies and, and then lunch and then afternoon tea and give me some food, right? We got to eat every day. Jesus, Jesus explains the parable and he says, he says, the seed is the word of the Lord and the ground is your heart. And what is the first one, right? It was, a, it was, it was the enemy comes and steals it steals the seed of the word of the Lord before it, can, before it can get planted and be fruitful and bring forth fruit in your life. And here we've got a verse in Malachi saying, saying I'll rebuke him. He comes to steal the seed. I'll say, no. No, sir. You're not going to devour. You're not going to destroy. This heart is good ground. The word of the Lord the seed of the word of the Lord is going to get planted into this good ground and bring forth a harvest, bring forth an abundant 30, 60, even a hundredfold harvest in your life. So, there's, so it's, it's not just meeting of our physical needs, but even the more important, deeper needs in our lives. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but the word of God. And the enemy's not too terribly concerned about coming and, and affecting your harvest of food as much as he is coming and affecting your harvest of the seed of the word of the Lord. Right? He's a lot more concerned about, about me uh, not having a harvest of the word of the Lord than he is having a harvest of black-eyed peas or purple holes. I don't like those little green English ones though. That's where I draw the line. You guys know what I'm talking about? Those things are nasty. <clears throat> and I, I like eat most anything except those. So I feel okay saying no. Like I eat everything else but not. No, sir. I have to be hungry. So, so there is this picture of food and we know you see how it's more you see how it's deeper and then there is the rebuking of the devourer and then there is this mentioning of the house of the Lord he says that there might be food in my house I think it's I think it's worth pointing out for a moment when we think about the house of the Lord that we remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that one of the things that is mentioned about our Savior is his zeal for God's house. You remember John chapter 2? Uh, he, he changes the water into the wine. And then he goes into the temple and he finds that in his father's house, things are not the way that they should be. And so he makes a whip and he goes in there and he turns over you know, the tables and the money changers because they've turned it into a, into a den of robbers, into a house of thieves. And after he's done turning all, the, all those things over and driving all that out of his father's house, he makes a powerful declaration. He says, he says my father's house is not a house of thieves and robbers. It's not a, it's not a, this is not what God had for my father's house. This is not what he desired for his house. He says, this is my father's house. It's a powerful statement. They hadn't like ever heard anybody really talk like that before. 
And, and it took him aback to say, wait a minute, this is God's house, not your father. And Jesus says, no, this is my father's house. And then his disciples remembered that it would be said of him, zeal for your house consumes me. And then it was after that that they, that they said, hey, if you're going to talk like this, you better give us a sign that you are who you say you are. What authority do you have to step into the temple and say, this is my father's house? And, and that's where Jesus said, I will, uh, I will go to the cross, I'll die, uh, uh, be buried, and on the third day rise again. Now, he, he said it, he said, he said, you'll destroy this temple, and in three days I'll rebuild it. But John helps us with it and says, this is what he was saying. He was saying, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. So, so God, we know, is passionate about his house. We know that Jesus... His son is passionate about his father's house. And one of the desires that God has for uh, his house is that there would be food in his house. And he will rebuke the devourer, the destroyer, so that he will not be able to prevent them, prevent there from being food in the father's house. So, uh, having laid that out there, let me, let me bring money into the picture. And uh, I think money helps us to make a connection that will, this is, this is kind of cool. Money helps us make a connection that will remind us of our identity and our purpose. In these last days, one of the things that, one of the things that the enemy is, is trying to deceive us and, and bring confusion in is in the area of identity and in the area of purpose. And one of the things that we need great clarity in is in the area of identity and in the area of purpose. And I think there's a connect here when we talk about the house of God and we talk about food. We also see the enemy in the picture, the house of God and food. Now we, now we know that we know that there's a connection uh, in Scripture between between love and and money, right? You remember First uh, Timothy, First Timothy six ten, that it is that it is the love of money that is a root. That causes all kinds of trouble. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And then there's, a, there's the mention of it, of, of a love for money and a serving of money uh, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. I wanted to remind you of that one. Matthew chapter 6, 624. This is, this is Jesus speaking Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, <clears throat> he says, no one can serve two masters. Um, I think he's right. I don't think you're the exception to the rule. I think it means no one can. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other. So you see love come here into the, into the picture. Will hate one, you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to one 
and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So when Jesus reveals these two masters, he gives us God as one and money as the other. So we recognize that we can't serve God and money. We recognize that the love of money causes all kinds of trouble. We can't, we can't love God and love money, right? You see that? You'll, you'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. So we are, we are to be lovers of God and not lovers of money. Money is dangerous. It can so easily arise in our life and try to take the place of God and become our devotion, become our love, become our master. We know that God wants us to love him. We know that, uh, we know that Jesus answered the question of the commandments by saying, love the Lord your God. We know that the first letter to the church uh, in, in the book of Revelation is, is the letter to the church in Ephesus, and it is a call to love God, a call back to your first love, that we are to be lovers of God. See, there's this connection here between money that, uh, and love that really gives us good direction. It really helps us and teaches us and reminds us that money's a problem. We need it. We all recognize we need it. God knows we need it. We're just not devoted to it. It's not our love. It's not our master. It's not our passion. We see, uh, we see this stated as well uh, in 1 John chapter 2. You know these verses, but, but let's read them because this is always a, a trouble for us always a temptation, do not love the world or anything in the world. We're not lovers of money. We're not lovers of this world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. We are to not be lovers of this world, right? We're, we're, we're not Lot's wife who's running one way trying to follow God and looking back trying to, trying to hang on to the world, right? We are, we are called away from that, not lovers of money, not lovers of this world. We are lovers of God, Everything in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Those things don't come from, don't you love this word? Don't come from the Father. They come from the world. So, um, make a statement here and, and then try to prove it to you. Uh, so, true love reveals to us our true identity. There's, there's an important connection between true love and understanding who we truly are. 
True love reveals to us our true identity. Lust of the flesh, of the eyes, and the pride of life, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust, the lusts, plural, of the flesh are only deceptive. They only lie to us. See, there's the, the enemy, the devil, the devourer, uh, wants, to, wants us to love the world and from our flesh find our identity. But the lust of the flesh, these things are not from the Father, who, by the way, created you. These things are not from Him. These things are from the world. The lust of the flesh, the eyes, the pride of life. They try to, they try to come in and identify you, truly identify who you are, but they're, they're only deceptive. They're only lies. They're only deceiving. And, and everything the enemy does through lies and deception is to work about his purpose to steal, kill, destroy. It's, it's our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came that we might have life and that more abundantly. So it is, it's true love that reveals to us who we truly are, reveals to us our true identity. How I know that's true is because of what is said in the next chapter, 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That, that you remember, not only are we to love God, we love God because He first loved us. And here is one of the most powerful, beautiful expressions of God's love that He has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Not children of this world, but children of God. And true love has revealed to us that that is what we are. We are children of God. So, so if you will, we can say as Jesus did, this is my Father's house. This is my Father's house. And as Jesus was consumed with zeal for His Father's house, I, a child of God, am consumed with zeal for my Father's house. So, where's my connect here? My connect is, there stirs within me a desire for food in my Father's house. Because it's my house. There, there stirs within me a passion for my Father's house to be everything that it is because I am His child and it is also my house. Galatians, Galatians 3. I don't have time to go back through all of Galatians, but we'll just drop right in at, at the end of Galatians 3. 26, Galatians 3.26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. A better word is son. It's a, it's a, because of the position of it, because of the position of the firstborn 
Son. We are all sons of God through faith. Or, or John chapter 1. For all of us who have believed, who have received Christ Jesus, who have believed in His name, we are children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but children born of God. We are the children of God. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds and Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Not only, hallelujah, we don't get this, not only are we children of God, but we are under the blessing and the inheritance that was spoken to Abraham that came down on to Christ that now comes on to us. We are heirs according to the promise as sons, firstborn sons in the house of God who is our Father. We are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Let me read it to you. Romans 8. Romans 8. The great Romans 8. 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. Because we're not of the flesh. Because we're not of this world. Because we're not lovers of this world or the things in this world. Because we are now children of God. Children born of the Spirit. So, so we don't love the world and, or, or its money or its things. And, and we are not defined by flesh. We are defined by the love of God for us who says, You are my children. We have an obligation. We do, but it's not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. We are, we are no longer a slave to fear. Uh, if we went back to 1 John, perfect love casts out all fear. We are no longer uh, slaves to fear. Fear is not what drives or motivates. There, there's something else or, or identifies. How, how, many, how many people identify by their fears? I mean, there's a lot of people that identify by their fears. They say, this is me. I'm afraid of this, and I'm afraid of this, and I'm afraid of that. Fear is not. Fear has no right to define you. Child of God loved us. And God has, has demonstrated His love for us. He has lavished His love upon us. We know it because we are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you a slave again to fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption 
to sonship. And we are children of God. And by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. Respectfully. Like I speak to my dad, my earthly dad, and I'll say, hey, Pop. And I don't mean any disrespect. It's, it's my love for him, my affection. He is my father. Nobody else can call him Pop, except for maybe Julian, my older brother. Or Dad, or Daddy. You know, this is, it's, it identifies him as, he's my dad, and I am his son. Abba, Daddy, Father. You are mine, and this is your house, and it is my house. To this day, I'll still just walk right into mom and dad's house. Open up the fridge. Look through their mail. Get me a drink. Make some coffee. Lay down on the couch. Put my feet on the table. It's my daddy's house. It's my house. Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. (laughs) I can't ever hardly get by that. We are heirs of God co-heirs with Christ? So Ephesians 2 says, says that, Ephesians 1 says that he was lifted up far above everything. And Ephesians 2 says that we are seated with him far above everything. We are co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. He said, my disciples will do this. I'm going to take up my cross and follow the will of God. My disciples will do this as well. They'll take up their cross and follow me. They're going to, they're going to turn their back on the world. They're not going to love it or care about the, the things of this world. Now, now certainly we love the people of this world and we want to see them come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we're not, we're not loving the, the love of the, the lust of the flesh and of the eyes and the pride of life and the things of this world. We are lovers of God. And so we take up our cross and follow Him and we share in His glory. I'm, I'm saying all of this to say, We are children in God's house. It's it's our house. It's not like my gift is going somewhere that's not a part of who I am or me. My, My gift comes out of my love. It's given out of my identity. And when I am driven by love and not fear, I give. And my gift is given to what is mine, my Father's house, that there might be food in my Father's house. So I'm giving out of love, out of love for 
my father out of love and passion and zeal for my father's house. That's why when you look at the book of Acts, they were giving out of, out of passion and revelation that they are God's children, that he is their father, that this is his house, and out of a desire that there might be food in the house of God, recognizing that man is in need of the word of God. That, the, that we need the devourer rebuked and the seed of the word of God planted on the heart and an abundant harvest flourishing and growing in our lives. Uh, I think all this helps us understand what Jesus says in John 10. In John 10, he, he talks about him, him being the shepherd. John 10, 10, there is... There is the great declaration that he makes that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. This is what, this is what our Savior wants for us. Now, now he says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and, and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming uh, or the devourer, the destroyer coming, Matthew chapter 7, uh, the false prophet, the wolf in sheep's clothing, when he sees the wolf coming, the hired hand abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus proclaims. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, this is, this is my Father's house. These are my Father's sheep. The hired hand doesn't have any ownership. So when, when the wolf comes, he's out of there, man. But Jesus says, not me. Because these are, these are my father's sheep. These are my sheep. And when the, when the devourer and the destroyer comes against my sheep, my herd, my father's flock. He says, I am not going anywhere. I will lay down my life to protect my sheep, to defend my sheep. And now we are children of God, hidden in Christ Jesus, co-heirs with him, right? So as he as he proclaimed, Abba, Father, we proclaim, Abba, Father. As he said, this is my Father's house, we say, this is my Father's house. As he had a zeal and passion for the house of the Lord, we have a zeal and passion for the house of the Lord. As he would lay down his life for the sheep, we lay down our lives for the sheep because they're my sheep, my pasture. I'm an owner because I am a son. What did David say? You remember? David, the little shepherd boy, 
when he stood before Saul about to go and face Goliath, David said, look, I'm just a shepherd in my father's house. My daddy's sheep are my sheep. I'm not a hired hand. I am the shepherd of my father's sheep. And when the bear came, David didn't run away. When the bear came to get the sheep, David rescued the sheep and killed the bear. And he said, when the lion came after my sheep, my daddy's sheep are my sheep. When the lion came after, the, he didn't just run and hide, right? The lion comes after his sheep. He's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And he, he goes and gets the lion, frees the sheep, and kills the lion. Now we know that the anointing of the Lord came upon him to do just that. He had a Samson moment, right? And then he says the same thing about Goliath. Now here is this uncircumcised Philistine coming after the sheep of the Lord God Almighty and I will kill him and stand against him and defeat him just like I stood against the the, the lion and the bear and I'll be victorious because the Lord's with me. The Lord is going to come on me. There is a, for the son, for the child, there's a different mentality It's, I'm not a hired hand, and it's not somebody else's house, and there's not someone else's sheep. I am a son. I am an heir. These are my people. These are my sheep. This is my house, my father's house, my house. So we we give out of love for God, out of love for his people, and we are, we, are, uh, we are clear on who we are because, because of the love of God for us that we are His children, that we are His sheep. Now, um, there's a connection here also between purpose. Remember I said, I'm going to spend less time on purpose than I did on identity. Promise. True love also helps us to understand true purpose. And and we want to give. We want our gift to come out of our our identity, out of being a child of God, and out of our purpose. In John 21, um, all these things kind of come together. John 21 Which verse did I start you with, Scott? One. (laughs) Jesus has gone to the cross, been buried, risen again. Hang with me a few more moments here. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Uh, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, Uh, the sons of Zebedee, uh, James and John, and two other disciples were together. Uh, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. You you remember he was a fisherman. And and so they said, "Uh, we'll go with you. So they went out 
and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Early in the morning, Jesus stood by the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, very similar to when Jesus calls Peter the first time. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus has, Jesus has got breakfast made. He's got, he's got what? He's got food. He has food for his disciples. He's got fish and, and bread. I don't know where the bread came from, but we know what Jesus can do with bread. Hmm. You ought to take some time and just, just slow read through the feeding of the 5,000. It's in all four Gospels. Jesus is concerned about the hunger of the people. And he feeds them, thousands of them. But he doesn't do it without nothing. He gets a gift from the people and from the small gift that the people give, some fish and some bread. What is it, five loaves, two fish? From five loaves, two fish given to Jesus. He gives thanks for it. And then he starts to distribute it. And he feeds thousands of people until they don't want any more. And there's leftovers. You say, what can God do with my small gift? He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above, immeasurably more than we ask or think. We bring our small gift and there will be food in His house. And He's more concerned about the word of the Lord that we live on than just the fish and bread that we eat. But he can take care of both. Hallelujah. Ah, sorry, I'm yelling. I'll try to calm down. I'm calming myself. That just excites me, right? That God can take my little and change lives, 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 lives upon lives upon lives. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. But Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. See, Jesus likes breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Jesus not only makes them breakfast, he serves it to them. 
There's a lot of good preaching here, but we're running out of time. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, uh, you, you remember Peter denied Jesus, right? At the cross, and he's been struggling with this, I'm sure. Jesus says to Simon, um, come on, Simon, let's go, let's go take a walk. Simon Peter, listen to what he says to him. Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus asks, he asks the love question. Peter answers the love question. And then Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, then do this. Feed my lambs. He says, he says, here's purpose for you, Peter. Get food to the people. Feed the sheep. I am, I am the shepherd, but I'm giving you shepherding duties. Go and feed my lambs. Care for my sheep. And I know, I know all that shepherding duties gets thrown on the pastor, but, but it's not for just the pastor. We're all in this together. We all at the same time are sheep and, and shepherds in the house of God to care for and watch over and guard one another and make sure that we are feeding one another. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then he goes on. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, then, then, then Peter, take care of my sheep. You're a, you're a shepherd now, Peter, in the house of God and it's your house. He's your father. And if you love me, then love means you're going to feed my sheep. If you love me, then that means it's going to move you to care for my sheep. He's giving Peter purpose. Purpose that, that we should connect to. Then the third time he, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter is hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, <laughs> He's just a Peter's just a sensitive fellow. Do you love me? And he says, "Lord, you know, you know all things. You know that I love you." And Jesus said, "Feed my sheep." He said, "These are my sheep, and they are in need of food." They need protection. They need care. If you love me, then care for them. Feed them. That there might be food in God's house. So, so from love, we recognize who we truly are. Children of God. And true love identifies for us true purpose the house of the Lord, his flock, his sheep, 
that we are to care for and watch over, protect and feed, that there might be food in God's house. So, so we give. We give. Yeah, the blessing. Yes. But we give out of more than that because we are God's children. This is His house. This is His flock. We give out of identity, out of who we are, that there might be food in our house. There might be food in our Father's house. And we give out of purpose that, that, that lives would be changed, that the Word of God would go forward, that the Word would be sown and planted into the heart and grow and bring forth an abundant harvest 30, 60, even a hundredfold because, because there are more important things than fish and bread. Man does need those, but man doesn't live on those things alone, but on the Word of God. We give out of identity who we are and we give out of purpose what Jesus has called us to do. We love Him. He loves us. We are His children, shepherds and sheep, feeding and caring and loving and protecting one another, giving that there might be food in His house, giving that the gospel, the word of the Lord, might be sown in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So love, not fear. Loved, not a curse. Love, because God loves us and has called us and changed us and transformed us. And we are now driven and motivated by a love for Him and a love for one another and a love for the lost. Let's pray.